uh, Ruben began a message series called Judges. So it is a message series on the book of Judges. And, and it's a book that if you read through it, if you've, if you've read this book in the Bible, like other books of the Old Testament, it's a book that is really distant from our reality. Like it talks about ancient warfare and sheepskins and ox goads. I had to Google and find out what an ox goad was. You can do that. That's your homework. Ox goad. What is that? This evening you can Google that. Wine presses, strong men with long hair, um, iron chariots. It is very different from what we are living today in 2023. And yet the amazing thing about it is that it is so relatable. I started reading this book just on my own a couple months ago, which kind of led us to do this series here at church. But I, I started reading this book because I was looking for people that I could relate to. People that knew all about God's goodness and they had experienced his miraculous power and yet they still feared at times. And because of their fear, they would compromise at times. And because of their compromise, they would get themselves into all kinds of trouble only to cry out to the God they had first rejected. And, and really, to be honest with you, I wasn't really studying the book of Judges to, to know about the sinfulness or the weakness of the people. But I wanted to be reminded of God's faithfulness and of God's mercy towards me. It says in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny who he is. And that is my biggest takeaway from the book of Judges. That despite our inconsistency and our brokenness and our failures, that God remains the same. He remains good and compassionate and forgiving and merciful. And so let me give you a, a quick recap of what Reuben spoke about last week when he introduced this message series. The book of Judges is named after the form of leadership over Israel at the time, between the time of Joshua and the beginning of the monarchy over Israel. And so between Joshua and King Saul, you have about 350 to 400 years. And at the start of this book of Judges, Joshua had just died. He had been the leader of Israel who took over from Moses, the great Moses. When God took his people out of Egypt, he elected Moses to lead them out into the wilderness. And then Joshua takes over from Moses and he takes the people into the promised land. He had been God's chosen man for that hour to bring the people into fulfillment of the promise that God made back in Genesis to Abraham to, to take the inheritance that God had promised for his people. And this is a beautiful representation of Jesus. Jesus, whose name was pretty much a Greek version of the name Joshua. Jesus has given us a great inheritance. He has conquered death. He has defeated the enemy. We have forgiveness of sins. We have reconciliation with the Father. We have Christ's righteousness and the indwelling the Holy Spirit. And just as Joshua was taking the people into a land of rest, so too Jesus is the only way to salvation and the only one who can promise us eternal rest. And the symbolism between Joshua and Jesus is amazing and it's beautiful. And I encourage you to look into it more. 
And so at this time, under Joshua, just as we're getting into the book of Judges, many of the enemies that lived in the land, they had been defeated and victory was achieved. And yet each of the 12 tribes of Israel had been allotted a portion of land and it was still necessary for each tribe to move into their appointed area, into their inheritance and completely fully dwell there. And so in Judges chapter 1, verse 1, we read, After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? God had a plan and a purpose for each of those 12 tribes. He had an inheritance to bestow on them. He had instructions for them. He had a calling on their lives. And yet, after everything that they had been through, After everything that they had seen God do and Joshua had reminded them over and over of what God had done, we read in the book of Judges that they couldn't fully trust God. And so they compromised and they entered into the cycle of sin and repentance and sin and repentance. And we read in the book of Judges that they did what was right in their own eyes. We read over and over in Judges that that the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord because they did what was right in their own eyes. Have you ever done what was right in your own eyes? Like God has promised you a whole life of profound peace and fulfillment in him. God says in Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to promise to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But for one reason or another, you chose not to trust God. Maybe not even once or twice, but actually lived a whole period of your life just not trusting God. Maybe you know all about God, but his way seems so impossible and so unattractive and so hard. And so you end up doing marriage your own way. And you choose the careers you want to follow and the job you want to have. And you surround yourself with friends you think are good. And you watch the shows you find entertaining. And church becomes optional and the word becomes irrelevant. And soon you stop being the light that you were called to be. Because you chose to take the wheel of your own life. And what's happened is that you've driven it right into a place of brokenness and regret. And so the book of Judges is a demonstration of our weakness, of our pride, but a reminder of God's faithfulness. That each time we read over and over, each time the Israelites cry out to God in desperation, God responds. And he raises up a leader and he rescues them, not because they are deserving necessarily but because that's who he is and he cannot deny himself he is merciful he is forgiving he is faithful lamentation says the steadfast love of the lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness and so if you take anything from this message and i'm going to move on from the introduction soon i promise but if you take anything from this message i want you to know that God is merciful. That if you have taken the wheel of your own life and if you are living a life where you do what is right in your own eyes, then I would encourage you to come to God. Cry out for help and know that a new beginning is available for you. 
I find it interesting that we don't remember what we had for dinner last week. And I can't get from here to the Algarve or Porto or anywhere without a GPS. I can't many times get home without a GPS. And yet we think that we are so capable of taking control over our own lives and making wise decisions. Would we just surrender to God? Would we just surrender to our maker, the one who knows all things and is sovereign over all things, the one who says to you in Isaiah 55, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Would we just let go and let God take, you, take control of your life and lead you into the inheritance that he has already conquered for you? So I was told to preach on Deborah, so I better go there now. Let's open in Judges chapter 4. Over this 400-year period, we read of 12 judges. I, I wish I had the list here of all the judges for you. Um, but we read of 12 judges, at least in the book of Judges. And Deborah is the fourth judge. The Israelites had already been in this cycle of sin and repentance with three previous leaders. After Ehud, there was peace for 80 years. And then after Ehud, there is a guy named Shamgar. And the poor guy only gets one, a one-verse mention. That's how I know what an ox goat is with Shamgar. But after Shamgar, the Bible says that in verse 4, Judges chapter 4, verse 4, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. And so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth, Hagoim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. I find it amazing that it took them 20 years to cry out to God for help. How long does it take some of us to cry out for help? I've spoken to some people where their life is clearly in chaos and they will try everything. They will try making different uh, health choices. They'll go to this rabbi. They'll go to that temple. They'll travel all over Asia to go to these, these quiet places where they do meditation. And would they just come to Jesus and cry out for help? And it says then, now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. So right away we see that Deborah is a pretty amazing woman. Like not only is she the only woman in this list of 12 judges, but right in these first verses we read that she is a prophetess, she is a judge, she is a wife, and later we will see that she's also a warrior and a worshiper. Talk about an inspiring woman of God. Like one day I will meet Deborah in heaven. And I imagine that she's one of those like matriarchal women, you know. Like, I don't know, many, some of you have met my grandmother. I imagine her to be a little bit like my grandma. Jode is very afraid in the presence of my grandma. Because she's one of those strong women. She knows who she is and you kind of, you don't know what to say around them. They're a little bit intimidating. So I imagine Deborah a little bit like that. Um, but I'll keep it cool in heaven and we won't make things awkward. <laughs> but before you make any assumptions, let me tell you that this is not going to be a message about feminism or a female empowerment. Indeed, Deborah was the only female leader over Israel until 1969 
when a lady called Golda Meir became Israel's first female prime minister and first female head of government in the whole Middle East. And I don't know much about Golda Meir. I don't know about her politics. I don't want to make a political uh, statement here. But there's something inspiring about their bravery and their boldness to step into the unprecedented and to make history. But when it comes to Deborah, there's a lot of debate between scholars and Christians in general whether she was called by God or whether she was his plan B when he couldn't find a man. Like some people say that at that time, guys were just a little bit complacent and passive and so God couldn't find a man to do it and so he chose a woman for the job. Complementarian theology that holds, upholds male headship in the home and in politics alike finds it difficult to believe that she would be God's first choice. And I am not God, and I'm not going to argue whether she was plan A or plan B. I don't think that's the point. The point is that he chose her. The point is that he chose Deborah, that when the people of Israel were lost and they cried out for help, and God chose Deborah. A woman, an unexpected and improbable leader to deliver the Israelites. In Judges chapter 2, it says, Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. It doesn't say, oh, except Deborah, she was kind of a plan B. I, it says God chose. He raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. He raised her for that moment to fulfill his plan, to bring mercy and salvation to his people he heard the cry of his people and he responded with Deborah the Bible says that when God raised up Moses in a few verses before that it says he heard the cry of the people and Moses was a response to their cry a few chapters after Deborah God chooses another improbable leader that we're familiar with and we'll get to him in this series he calls Gideon and when God calls Gideon, the problem isn't even what other people think of Gideon. The problem is what Gideon thinks of Gideon. God says, I'm sending you. I'm choosing you. You're going to go and defeat the Midianites. And Gideon replies, uh, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And it's not recorded in the Bible, but who knows? Deborah may have responded the same way. Uh, pardon me. I'm a woman. God, I'm, maybe you have better choices or maybe I'm just not the right person for the world. I don't know. But all too often, God is calling us to lead and to manage and to pioneer and to build. But we don't because we have boxed ourselves into all kinds of limitations. And by doing that, we have determined what God is allowed to do, whom he is allowed to use, and what is just out of bounds for God. You step into these restricted spaces that you believe you cannot possibly be God's chosen person for the hour. You don't have the know-how. You don't have the right gender, the right nationality, the right accent, the right uh, qualifications, the right past. And the list goes on and on and on. And, and recently we did a message series called Unqualified. And I encourage you to go back and listen to that. And, and I'm, I'm preaching a similar message because we need to be reminded that God chooses who he wants, when he wants, for the hour that he determines. That is my encouragement for you, that God chooses whoever he wants to fulfill his astounding plans of love and salvation. And actually, he has a preference for choosing the unexpected and improbable people. And so according to his sovereign and perfect will, God may choose you 
to do things and to go places that you never thought you would. To lead teams, to start a business, to hold positions of influence, not for your own credit, but to bring relief and hope to others because our God is a God who listens to the cry of his people and raises the unexpected, the unqualified, the people that nobody would think would be right for the job. And he does because for the glory of his name, he wants to use you to love on his people, to bring salvation and to extend his kingdom. You have to trust what God thinks of you and what he says about you over what others or what you yourself have to say. We could look at the period of judges and we could think, why do you keep forgiving God? Like these people are just playing with you now. They're, they're rejecting you and then they come back to you and then they reject you and they come back to you like, God, get the memo. These people are just inconsistent. They're unfaithful. Why do you keep having mercy? And then we read in Romans chapter 9, verse 15, where it's quoting God speaking to Moses. And God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And so when we ask why, this is kind of God's version of, because I said so. Because I said so. I'll have compassion on who I want to have compassion, and I'll have mercy on whom I want to have mercy. And the same applies for who God chooses to use. God will choose to use who he wants. Why you? Because he said so. Why me? Because God said so. We read in John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says, You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and to produce lasting fruit. I'll be very honest with you that God has called me to do a few things that I feel so unqualified for. I don't have the know-how. I don't have the experience. I can think of a million people that could do the job better. You know, the first time that I was asked to preach, I said no, um, not in this church, but I said no because I thought at the time that I was too young and what could I possibly say to a room filled with people that were twice or, twice or triple my age? What could I say? And so I said, no, 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 I, I don't want to do that. And God convicted me at that time where how could you just not speak of my love? But I had placed myself in this limitation of, no, because of my age, God, you can't possibly use me. And, and I made an agreement, almost a, a pact with God. God, I will never say no to preaching your word again. It doesn't matter my limitation. It doesn't matter where I am. If you give me the opportunity to speak, God, I will speak of your love. Because maybe I don't have all the wisdom in the world, but I can tell you of how faithful God has been in my life. And I can tell you how worthy he is of your life. Sometimes I look at our own church and I look at, at, at the room and I, I look at people like Barry and Lisa. They're not here right now, but people who have, are considerably older than me, <laughs> who have children and grandchildren and have lived whole careers and how can they submit to the leadership of a 29-year-old? <laughs> and I think it's so humble of them. And all these insecurities come up of, God, how and, and why? And I don't know why, but I know that God has chosen Reuben and I for this time in this church, in this city. And I will go and bear lasting fruit. And so I encourage you, church, if God has called you, go. 
He has appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Let me ask you, are you perhaps living a limited life when you're following a limitless God? Don't put yourself in a box that God never intended for you. He chose you. He appointed you. Go and produce lasting fruit. So let's continue in Judges chapter 4. It says, One day, Deborah, she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. And Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. She's not talking about herself. She's talking about another character that will come later named Jael. And so Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him, and Deborah also went with him. So Deborah calls Barak, the commander of Israel's army, to gather the troops and go to battle. And Barak usually gets a really bad rep for his response. A lot of people just say, ah, he's just weak, and what kind of man is he, that he needs her to go with him. But before we make a judgment... We need to understand what Deborah was asking here, what she was telling him. She just quoted God to him and ordered him to take 10,000 men and go fight the king that's been oppressing them for 20 years. Israel had essentially no weapons to fight with against this technologically advanced army with 900 chariots of iron, like this was high tech at the time, and thousands of warriors. In addition, I don't know much about warfare, but God led them to fight on a plane. I don't think that is something very advantageous to them. God led them to fight on a plane, which puts them at a huge disadvantage against chariots, 900 chariots, high tech chariots of iron. So I find it hard to believe in this context that Barak was just a coward. If we look at the conversation, he doesn't talk back to Deborah. He doesn't criticize or question her authority. He says one thing, I will go, but only if you go with me. And my conclusion is that the difference between Barak and Deborah at this point was that in the face of great adversity and this huge impossible challenge, Her confidence was fully in God. That is where she got her authority and her boldness. Yet his confidence was divided. He failed to fully trust God. He needed her with him because God was apparently not enough for him. And so it was disobedience of Barak because he allowed fear and doubt to take place in his heart. And yet, I found it intriguing How despite all of this, in Hebrews chapter 11, like the famous chapter of admirable men and women of faith, Barak's name is mentioned. Let's go to Hebrews 11, verse 32 through 34. It says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, 
about David and, and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. That line, whose weakness was turned to strength, says it all. Barak was not perfect. He was not always strong in his faith. And yet, God also chose him. God chose to use him for that moment, for that battle, for that season, knowing full well how flawed Barak was. And so when Barak says he will only go if Deborah goes with him, she doesn't hesitate. She goes. She's a warrior and her faith is unwavering. The Psalms weren't written at this point yet, but I, I, I know that her prayer at the time would have resembled this prayer in Psalm chapter 20. It says, now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots. I can imagine her just just, just praying this some trust in chariots and some in horses but we trust in the name of the Lord our God and so she turns to Barak and she gives him this bold encouragement right as they're about to go into battle and it says then Deborah said to Barak get ready this is the day that the Lord will give you victory over Sisera for the Lord is marching ahead of you what faith she had May I encourage you, church, each of you, I don't know what you're up against. I don't know the challenge that you're facing. I don't know the impossibility. I don't know the conflict. I don't know the difficulty. I don't know the giant that you are facing today. But may I encourage you, get ready, because the Lord is marching ahead of you. How beautiful, how strengthening is that? That fills me with boldness. That fills me with authority. That fills me with joy that the battle that I am facing the Lord is marching ahead of me. May we listen to the words of Deborah. May we be encouraged. Let me tell you that I lead the Lisbon Project and we, Ruben and I together, we lead the church. And it has not been an easy three months. We have faced a lot of challenges. We've faced a lot of difficulties. But you know what's kept me going? That the Lord marches on ahead of me that I don't need to fear, I don't need to doubt, I don't need to let, let anxiety or, or worry take place in my heart because the Lord is marching ahead of me. And if he's with me, whom shall I fear? And so I want to encourage you this evening, get ready because the Lord is marching ahead of you. We don't have time to go into it. But as Barak closes in on the Canaanite army, Sisera, a real coward, he abandons his troops and escapes. And he ends up in the tent of a woman named Jael. And she welcomes him in and she gives him some milk. And then as he falls asleep, she kills him in a very strange and very gruesome way. I'll let you look into it later tonight. That's your light bedtime reading. But it says in Judges chapter 4, verse 23, So on that day Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. Deborah did not defeat the enemy. Barak did not defeat the enemy. Jael did not defeat the enemy. God defeated the enemy. And you know what happened next? For the first time since the days of Joshua, 
Deborah and Barak together, they lead Israel in a song of praise, giving God all of the glory and all of the honor for what he had done for them. Deborah was also a worshiper. And so her and Barak, they are quick to give God all of the credit. And all of Judges chapter 5 is their song to the Lord. It's them praising God for what he had done. They can take no credit. They can take no glory for themselves because God has won the victory. They recognized that whatever they had accomplished, the wisdom, the guidance, the battle, the strength, it was all God working in them and through them. May we be quick to give God the glory and the praise for the way in which he moves in our lives. May we never fail to praise him, to worship him, to testify of his goodness, his faithfulness, and his power in our lives. I think Dina mentioned this once in a message, but I'd like to reread it again. Corey Ten Boom, she says, when people come up and give me a compliment, I take each remark as if it were a flower. And at the end of the day, I lift up a bouquet of flowers I have gathered throughout the day, and I say, here you are, Lord. It is all yours. Would we live in this way? That whatever people can say about you, your ethic at work, or how excellent you are, or how talented you are, or how God has used you to bring them relief, or, or to bring them a feeling of love or belonging, that you would just give God the praise. That whatever good you display, that whatever good you have in, as a blessing in other people's lives, give God the credit, the credit that he is due. Amen? I'm going to call the worship team up, please. And I have just four final points that I would like to encourage you with as we close today. If you have taken control over your own life and you are living a life where you are doing right in your own eyes, I want to encourage you to let go and let God take control as he leads you into the inheritance that he has already conquered for you. He has plans to prosper you, to give you a hope. He has a beautiful calling over your life. Would you just give him control? Let him lead the way. Secondly, I want to encourage you, if this is you, to get out of the box that God never intended for you. And step into the plans he has for you. Why has he chosen you? I don't know, because he said so. Because he is sovereign and he is good and he is creator and he knows all things and his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so would you just step out of the restrictions and stop saying, no, but God, I can't because of this and I can't because of that. And would you just get out and let God use you and let God equip you and let God qualify you and let God open the way and let God do his thing in your life. Let God show off in your life. Jode said at a meeting recently, when God shows up, he shows off. Would you let God choose you, use you, equip you, appoint you that you may go and bear lasting fruit? And finally, would you put your confidence in him? Unlike Barak, who was still a little bit divided, would you be a little more like Deborah in this context. 
Put your full confidence in God. He is all we need. He tells Joshua in the first chapter of Joshua, he has to tell this great leader, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, for I am with you, for I am with you. Take courage because I am with you. Would we have the same faith to put our confidence fully in God? I'll go to battle, not because I'm a good warrior, but because my God is with me. I'll go where he wants me to go. I'll do what he wants me to do because he's with me and that's all that I need. And give him the glory. Give him the glory for what he is doing in your life. Give him the glory for what he is yet to do in your life. Would you stand with me, church? God, we don't have much. But we have a heart that beats for you. We have a life we want to give to you. God, I thank you that you have chosen us. I thank you that you choose improbable people. I thank you that you choose the unexpected people by all standards of society. I thank you, God, that we get to serve you and we get to do the unimaginable. We get to step into places we don't deserve to be because you have appointed us. God, I pray that you will just release people from their bondage, release people in this room that are living so restricted because they don't feel they're worthy, they don't feel they're qualified. Will you just release them from that pressure, release them from their own insecurities and build a faith in their hearts. Stir up a faith in our hearts to believe that yes, we are not capable, but you are. We are not enough, but you are. And because of you, God, wherever your presence is, that is all that we need. God, I pray that you use this church, use each member in this church to go and be a blessing in society, to go and be a blessing in the corporate world, go and be a blessing in the NGO world, go and be a blessing in universities, go and be a blessing wherever you have placed us beyond our limitations because you are a limitless God. We thank you, God. Because we get to live a life of abundance, of fullness, of seeing you do miracles and seeing you save. What an exhilarating, what an amazing life. Not an easy one necessarily. But one where we get to see you do what you do best. We get to see you save people. Because you are a God who hears the cry of your people. And I pray, God, that we won't live a life that is so focused on ourselves and how much we're missing. But that we will live a life where we focus on the needs of others. God, whatever it takes, use me to bring relief to other people. To bring you to other people, God. That we would live selfless lives. I just want to be used by you. We don't have much, but we have a heart that beats for you, God. Use each one of us. Stir up a faith in us this evening to simply say, yes, here I am. Send me, whatever that looks like, wherever that is, send me, God. Use me for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name.